A voice flew out of the river as morning flew out of the body of night. A voice sending out from the night of the sleeping morning. A voice in its own voice, naked, made of the whole body and the whole life, but without anything. Breath, breath of the fire, love, smoke of the poems, voices. Poet Muriel Rukeyser recorded by WBAI in New York City on August 15th, 1962. Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, and this is From the Vault, the Pacifica Radio Archives weekly program that brings our history out of the vault and onto the radio. Muriel Rukeyser was one of the first women who wrote poetry with a political point of view that was considered enlightened for the era, with a program dedicated to women's poetry and prose from Pacifica's past. With hundreds of recordings documenting poetry readings by women in the archives collection, it is overwhelming to select who to include and who we have to save for another program. These include Rita Dove, Elizabeth Sargent, Adrian Mitchell, Josephine Miles, Barbara Holland, Gwendolyn Brooks, Alice Walker, Adrian Rich, Audre Lorde, Lucille Clifton, Claudia Rankine, and many, many more, dating back to the early 1950s. There is no rhyme or reason to the selection or play order today, other than wanting to share as many voices as possible. In this program, you will hear Grace Cavallari, Anais Nin, Anne Sexton, Marianne Moore, and Maya Angelou. <laughs> Grace Cavallari is one of America's greatest living poets, so said a recent reviewer, and who popularized poetry through modern media. Author of 14 collections of poetry, Grace just celebrated the 30th anniversary as producer of Public Radio's *The Poet and the Poem* from the Library of Congress, originally broadcast on Pacifica station WPFW in Washington, D.C. In addition to winning the Penn Fiction Story Award, the Allen Ginsberg Poetry Award, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting's Silver Medal, to name a few, Grace was recently awarded the Key to the City of Greenville, South Carolina, in conjunction with the world premiere of her 21st play, *Quilting in the Sun*. February 16th in Greenville, South Carolina, has been proclaimed Grace Cavallari Day. The recording you will hear is from a 1989 poet in the poem. This episode, funded partially by the Witter Biner Foundation, Grace talks about the state of poetry in America. But let's listen to Grace read one of her poems. I was born in New Jersey, in Trenton, and I had never left Trenton until I was a young adult. And driving to Jacksonville, I was amazed at what I saw. But more important is looking back at that moment and remembering it, so that it has. A duality—it's not an in time. It's got going south. I love to think of it, traveling south that time, thirty years ago, stopping, a sunlit town, a weekday afternoon, a town so small, four corners with its children coming home from school, green lawns, sweet air, Georgia or some other foreign place never seen before. No highways then, bypassing sounds of people walking, talking on the street. I couldn't believe my eyes. Three o'clock, far away, my shoulders a pink halter. No one dead. My mother, father, sister still alive. Nothing much to worry me, but the road ahead, flowers, soft aromas, strange trees, and a restaurant. I see just where we sat. That corner over there, the smell and feel of honey, but most of all, warm sun beside a road, by a car headed south. Flavors of a southern town, 
years ago, my first time down. Grace Cavallari, your poem is called Going South. Is there a central line there? The one that caught my eye and my ear. I want you to coach me on this mm -hmm. now. No one dead. My mother, father, sister, still alive. Thank you. What, what, well, and uh, that was a, a lucky guess, but help me. I think in the poem that although we do not have many road maps, we start to write a poem, and we rarely know where it is going, or else it would be a chess game and not a poem. I think you get to a point in the poem <laughs> where it turns a corner, yeah. uh -huh. and when you and it becomes a quiet space in the poem, and you take your direction, your finding from that, and in whatever whether I smelled a fragrance that reminded me of driving down to Florida thirty years ago or whatever it was, what went with that remembrance was something that hurt, mm -hmm. and it was that that trip there will never be another trip like that. And so the poem takes on um, three lives here. Mm. It is where I am, it is where I've been, and it is what I felt and what I feel, and it will never die. So that I have taken a moment in time and defied death <laughs> because it's permanent and uh -huh. it's frozen and it's on the page, and that's all we want. It's an obsessive way to live. Mm-hmm. And most poets I know have certain general qualities. One, they are always thinking of the past, whether it is healthy or not. They feel very deeply about things lost. And there is a wish for something invisible in the world that they keep wanting to make visible. How should we nurture our poets? We began by talking about how poetry is such a strange thing. And then we came to a point in our conversation where we agreed, well, wait a minute, maybe we all are poets after all. There is something poetic in, in all of us, whether we can say it as well as Eliot or Keats or whoever or Grace Cavallari. How, how should we nurture it? I think we should not be afraid of it, for one thing. That's the first thing. That is the greatest affront is to shy away from it. Take to tr it to treat house. it like the third world. Take it in. It won't hurt you. Yeah. Don't be afraid of the way, of other ways to think. Don't be afraid of the nighttime mind. That is as much a part of our mind as our daytime one. Mm -hmm. Allow other things in. And it is to allow the illogical, to allow one thing to trigger off the other without always controlling the next thought. Mm -hmm. To release rather than hold. It is a way of opening up energy in your life and it opening up higher energy centers and it it is um a matter of loss of fear if if we could get most of our readers to just read a poem a day then that would change the universe poet and scholar grace cavallari on pacifica radio 1989 this is from the vault The next poet we present is Marianne Moore. 
who radically changed poetic form and was an icon at the early part of the 20th century. Born in 1887 in Kirkwood, Missouri, Moore published her poetry from as early as 1921 and ending with her last publication, Homage to Henry James, in 1971, right before her death in 1972. Her poetry brought attention from poets as diverse as Wallace Stevens, William Carlos Williams, T.S. Eliot, and Ezra Pound. Modern poets encouraged by her include Elizabeth Bishop, Allen Ginsberg, John Ashbery, and James Merrill. With that said, what we have to share with you today is extraordinary, a true blue historic recording unique to the world. In 1951, Moore received the Pulitzer Prize, the National Book Award, and the Bollingen Award for poetry for her collected poems. In 1956, Marianne Moore was recorded by KPFA at the University of California, Berkeley. We invite you to listen intently to this clip, as few poetry scholars have ever heard this legendary poet read as you are about to. Here is Marianne Moore. I'm called a poet because there's no other category in which to put me. <laughs> That's true. You can't say no. <laughs> I have some skeptics like this, uh, like the, uh, whoever it was who really edited the Carnegie Foundation American Panorama who said various things about me and said that one would be at a loss to find a lyric passage in her entire work. <laughs> I felt quite downcast. Well, I don't feel quite so with all of you coming here, taking this trouble to hear these uh, prosaic things. <laughs> Now, I'm a little too sketchy about my readings, and I wish to read uh, twice, and I have failed to do it, an early piece called The Chameleon, which uh, Robert Duncan restored my confidence in. He said, why has this never been reprinted? And I thought, well, it has merit, perhaps, but I now discern why it has never been reprinted, the final words are, um, this emerald could not snap up the spectrum, <laughs> the spectrum's food, as you have done. If I ended with food, I, I'd command it, but as you have done, and it's a rhyme, we won, so it has to stay there. Maybe somebody else can amend me. <laughs> it goes as follows. A chameleon. Hid by the august foliage and fruit of the grapevine, twine your anatomy around the pruned and polished stem, chameleon. Fire laid upon an emerald as long as the dark king's massy one could not snap up the spectrum for food as you have done. Nine nectarines. I think, I don't know, this is very uh, unprofessional, I can't remember why I was reading this, I think to, uh, because Mr. Belouf would be interested in it. Anyhow, this is it, I have not read this while I've been in California. 
Perhaps my fruit is outdone by what we already have. <laughs> Mr. Winter's uh, pineapple guavas and things of that kind. Nine nectarines. Arranged by twos as peaches are at intervals that all may live. Eight and a single one on twigs that grew the year before. They look like a derivative. Although not uncommonly the opposite is seen, nine peaches on a nectarine. Fuzzless through slender leaves of green or blue or both in the Chinese style. The four pairs, half moon leaf mosaic turned, turns out to the sun. The sprinkled blush of Pus American Beauty Pink applied to beeswax gray by the uninquiring brush of mercantile bookbinding. Remember, I had just received a new dictionary with one of those freckled, speckled uh, edges, and I'm very grateful to it. <laughs> like the, I've been asked several times what that has to do with this. <laughs> like the red cheek peach, which cannot aid the dead, but eaten in time prevents death, the Italian peach nut. Persian plum, Ispahan, secluded wall-grown nectarine, as wild spontaneous fruit was found in China first. But was it wild? Prudent de Congo would not say. One perceives no flaws in this emblematic group, with leaf window unquilted by Curculio, which someone once depicted on this much-mended plate, or in the also accurate unantlered moose or isened horse or ass asleep against the old thick low leaning nectarine that is the color of the shrub tree's brownish flower a Chinese understands the spirit of the wilderness and the nectarine loving unicorn of pony appearance the long tailed or the tailless small cinnamon brown common camel haired unicorn with antelope feet and no horn, here enameled in porcelain. It was a Chinese who imagined this masterpiece. Uh, we were suffering from fancy patterns at the time I wrote this, and I set in the last line of each stanza of green or blue or both in the Chinese style, the four pairs. So, or and four rhyme and I put a space between them I thought it was rather affected uh, to uh, uh, do it any other way and when I came to have this uh, reprinted uh, if, uh, removed the spaces then I couldn't find the rhymes it took me a long time <laughs> and uh, it's a little super ingenious Italian and Ispahan and the uh, accurate and mended plate and so on. Um, so I see that I may help the reader a little bit there, but even so, it didn't help me not to be told that I don't write lyrics. <laughs> Poet Marianne Moore from a 1956 Pacifica radio recording. But it don't snow here, it stays pretty green. I'm gonna make a lot of money, then I'm gonna quit this crazy scene. I wish I had a river 
Jump back a few years from 1968 to 1965, the place, the Young Men's Hebrew Association, New York City, an odd location for tragic poet Anne Sexton to read her confessional poetry a year prior to her receiving the Pulitzer Prize for her third book of poetry, Live or Die. Sexton brought the nighttime mind to poetry, setting the stage for poets Robert Lowell and Sylvia Plath. After Sexton's death in 1974, a radio documentary was produced at Pacifica Station KPFK in Los Angeles. Here, the announcer introduces the program. Right afterward, you will hear poet Anne Sexton in her own words. Last year, the poet Anne Sexton died what was declared an accidental death by carbon monoxide inhalation. Her suicide shocked many. Not for the act itself, but because they had come to assume that someone who had written for so long and at such great lengths about her emotional disorders would finally accustom herself to inhabiting the gray spaces that were her province. My first poem tells you what kind of woman I am. Her kind. I have gone out to possessed witch, haunting the black air. Braver at night, dreaming evil, I have done my hitch over the plain houses, light by light. Lonely thing, twelve-fingered, out of mind. A woman like that is not a woman quite. I have been her kind. I have found the warm caves in the woods, filled them with skillets, carving shelves, closets, silks, innumerable goods. Fixed the suppers for the worms and the elves, whining, rearranging the disaligned. A woman like that is misunderstood. I have been her kind. I have ridden in your cart, driver, waved my nude arms at villages going by, learning the last bright roots. Survivor, where your flames still bite my thigh and my ribs crack. Where your wheels wind, a woman like that is not ashamed to die. I have been her kind. Anne Sexton from a 1965 poetry reading at the Young Men's Hebrew Association in New York City. This is from the Vault. Today, highlighting just a few of the women poets from Pacifica's history or herstory. I'm Brian DeShazer.
Next, we move to a bit of prose. Feminist author and diarist Anais Nin visited Pacifica station KPFA and KPFK from as early as 1966. The Pacifica Radio Archives holds over 21 recordings of Ms. Nin. In 1972, KPFK recorded An Evening with Anais Nin, interviewed by feminist artist Judy Chicago. The diary has meant something to women uh, in their evolution, and I don't think that I should be criticized for not using the language of the political thing, for not thinking like Millet or talking like some other woman leader. Oh, I agree you with see. that. And this is what I have resented very much. Well, and I think when you're right I, on that. When I went to the... Yes, in, in other words, there are various ways of liberating yeah. women. If women have no confidence, no pride in themselves, uh, no courage in their creativity. Now, I have emphasized very much in my talks now to the women's studies the value of the personal and have also been misunderstood because I said that women having had a slightly more restricted field because they were thrown back into the personal and developed a high skill and a talent and a, a, almost a, 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 a particularly beautiful relationship to the personal world which was the thing that man disparaged and mm -hmm. called a small kingdom and a small world and a limited world, I was trying to make women realize that this personal world had an enormous value at this moment when we were in danger of dehumanization uh, through technology, through science, through this expanding of the universe, through all the things that have made us think in terms of millions rather than in the personal And when I was talking to a group of women at Columbia University, there was a woman on my right who said, of course, you haven't, I can see you haven't been to Washington trying to persuade men to do this and that for women. Now, I looked at this woman. Now, this woman would be, if she entered this room, you and I would both feel we didn't want to help her to do anything because she was so absolutely terribly angry and terribly aggressive and terribly combative that it was an attack whatever whatever it is that she would bring you. And I said to her, well, perhaps you should let Beatrice, who runs this group, and I go to Washington, and perhaps we might get something done. Because it was her manner that was so... But see, I, I so, can identify with yes. that, Anise, because, you see, the process in the last two years mm. for me has been a personal educational process as well as a process of educating cult the culture around me. Yes. That is, two years ago, I was much angrier and much more frightened I did not believe that I could actually put out what were my real feelings without danger. And because I did not feel safe, and because I did not feel that my true feelings would be accepted, I, I was angry. I was frightened, and so I covered up the fear with a kind of an aggressive stance which would protect me against what I thought was going to happen. In other words, I had real fantasies when I began to work in the program, when I started the program, when we began to do the kind of art we did, which really came from our guts and our experiences as women. I really had fantasies that somebody would shoot me that somebody would kill me, that it would not be allowed. Now, if I had that kind of terror, and I have a kind of a strong ego, imagine what kind of a terror it is for women to come out, and the kind of anger against the culture that women feel for feeling so terrified. Why did I feel so terrified? To simply be myself. 
Now, the process of these two years has greatly relaxed me because I have seen that nothing terrible has happened. I have seen that men have not killed me. Women have not, you know, uh, I have not been made into Joan of Arc and burned at the stake. <laughs> I mean, you know, and so I yes. am now able to begin to release myself. That process is releasing me from the anger and I can say to myself, no, no, there's nothing to be upset about. All I have to do is just put it out in a straightforward way and that's that. Oh, when you're Yes, yes, when you're When you're Yeah, yeah I can And now, we may have saved the best for last. We'll let you decide. Maya Angelou. If ever there was a poet who must be heard to be fully appreciated, it's Ms. Angelou. What a voice. This is from a 1982 speech delivered at Los Angeles Community College entitled Sheroes and Heroes. Here is Maya Angelou. Two women who founded Spellman, two women here in April, prayed alone and saw again their vision of an altar built for mind and spirit, flesh and bone. They never turned away. They never said... This dream is there, let's go back to New England and cultivate an earth that is not dead. They never said, let dark mothers weep for dark children. This land is barren land, incapable of seed. They made their crucifix far more than ornament. They wrestled with denial and pinned him to the floor. Year by year, their vision shed its mist knowing that they had not death to fear, knowing that their future would be now and every April assembled here. A wonderful idea. I suggest particularly to some young white women, students, that you do some research. Find the names. People live in direct relation to the sheroes and heroes they keep alive. I would be delighted to know the names of some of those women. I would like to share, sing a song to you from uh, my new play. The play is called And Still I Rise, and it's opening in April on Broadway, and it's a musical. Pretty women wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built or suit or fashion model size. When I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my steps, the curl of my lips, cause I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's me. I walk into a room just as cool as you please. And to a man, the fellows stand or fall down on their knees. Then they swarm around me, a hive of honeybees, I say. It's the fire of my eyes, the flash of my teeth, the ride of my breast, the jaw in my feet, cause I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's me. You 
You've just heard Maya Angelou from 1982. And that does it for this week's program, presenting women poets, authors, and artists in their own voice. Miriam Rukeyser, Grace Cavallari, Marianne Moore, Anne Sexton, Anaya Stan, Judy Chicago, and Maya Angelou. Thanks to our dear friend, Grace Cavallari. For more information on any of the incredible women featured today, go to your local library, bookstore, or just Google the name. From the Vault series is produced by Brian DeShazer and Mark Torres and executive produced by the Pacifica Radio Archives. We are now streaming and podcasting online at fromthevaultradio.org. For more information, call the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230. In the poetic women musicians we use today, Ricky Lee Jones, Ugly Man, Bubbles and Cheesecake, It's a Woman Thing, Aretha Franklin's cut, Young, Gifted and Black, and Joni Mitchell with River from her classic album, Blue. Our theme music is by Kevin Drum Holiday. I'm Brian DeShazer, and thanks for listening. Flanders, the superb host of Radio Nation on Air America, is presenting us with a new book, Blue Grit, True Democrats Take Back Politics from the Politicians. Michael Eric Dyson insists that Blue Grit is pure political tonic, a stirring call to arms for progressives who feel they've been left out in the cold by their alleged allies. Other outspoken fans are Chuck D., Eve Ensler, William Greider, and Randy Rhodes. Laura will be in Berkeley on Wednesday evening, April 18th, at the First Congregational Church of Berkeley at 7.30 p.m. Thanks to Cody's books, this will be a benefit for KPFA Radio. The church, wheelchair accessible, is at 2345 Channing Way at Durant.